Okay, church, could I have you stand one more time? This time for just four verses. <laughs> we're in First Peter. We're be- still in First Peter, beginning chapter 5 today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Let me get there real quickly. So you guys notice we did start our live stream once again today, so uh, appreciate Juan. And just uh, so you guys know, you know, if you're sick or you're out, to give you a chance to, uh, to join us. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you may receive the unfading crown of glory. You guys can be seated. Father, I just ask that you would help me today, Lord, to clearly proclaim your word to your people, Father, and that they would be strengthened and encouraged from your word by your Holy Spirit. We pray most of all that Christ would be glorified today. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Alright, every, every time that I stand here to preach the Word of God, no? It's not on? It's the screen, Jella. Yeah. Technical difficulties. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it, it turned on. Okay. You got it? Okay. So every time, you know, that that I stand to preach the Word of God, I've told you guys that I'm always preaching to myself. I've already, I've already preached to myself going through the text. But I think today would even be more so. Uh, this is a, an exhortation to elders. So it's an exhortation to myself, to uh, those who aspire to be elders in this room, or who would listen. And so by way of context, we remember that the context of, of, of this letter is, remember, persecution and suffering. We've been saying that throughout the letter. I went back and looked at the sermons. This is the 23rd, this is the 23rd sermon in, in 1 Peter, and there are five sermons with the name Suffering. In it, and so that that just tells you four four of those have been since chapter three verse thirteen. So just by the title of the sermons, you can tell that suffering is the context of this letter, which is why we chose this letter. It's re- it's very interesting to me because I didn't ask anybody else. Uh, I decided to choose this letter to go through it, um, but but I but I've noticed that a lot of you guys know Ronnie. Pastor Ronnie, he had already started First Peter before I ever did. Uh, Gerald at Grace Place, they were going through First Peter in their Sunday school class. I found out that Juan recently preached through First Peter in his church plant, and I think there's a reason because we we just all anticipate that that we could, you know, we don't know the future, but that, that we could suffer more in the future than we have, and so that's why the Word of God is given to us to help us prepare. For suffering, and that's what we've been seeing. It seems like week after week, the context in some way has been centered around how we are going to endure suffering, handle it, and approach it. And in this most recent section, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, which was the last two sermons that we had in that section, the main emphasis was that we should expect it. Remember that? We should expect it. Because we've looked at different. Different areas of suffering, suffering for righteousness' sake. But it's really, we, these last couple of weeks, it's just emphasized Peter is telling his readers and telling us that suffering in the area of persecution, pushback from the world, opposition, is to be expected. Okay? It's to be expected. And so it's all been a preparation for God's people. It's all been a preparation for God's people, this letter, to suffer. Okay, That's what the Holy Spirit 
inspired Peter to write is to prepare God's people to suffer, how to handle suffering. And I think more for us, it's to prepare for it. And now, in this, in this text, in, in, in chapter 5, Peter now turns to the leadership of the church. The leadership of the church, which are, the Bible describes them in this passage, as the elders. So first of all, let's, let's look at verse, uh, at verse 1 of chapter 5. The word therefore. If I'm not mistaken, that word is only in the New American Standard, I believe. Um, I looked at several of the other translations. And so there's, there's debates on whether that word needs to be there. Um, since I have the New American Standard, I'm going to say it does need to be there. But, but I think it obviously this, this is connected to what he just said, obviously. And so it could be in reference to verse 17 that we looked at last week where he says it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Right? We looked at that. God is going to start. He will start with the household of God. So if he's going to start with the household of God, he's going to start with the leaders in the church. Um, that could be Peter's thoughts. The idea for the elders to guard your hearts, to guard your motives, your actions. Because he's going to exhort us as elders to how we should shepherd God's people. We need to be leading our flocks with humility. The elders, because they are leaders, because they are the leaders of the church, this also, and I think all of this is applicable. The leaders of the church are are most certainly, most of the time, going to be the first to face the brunt of the persecution. That's just the way, you know, the pastors and these type of people. So in other words, this is an exhortation to elders. We need to be strong and we need to lead by example. Peter's also reminding them of the pattern in Christ's life. We can see it in verse, in verse 1. The pattern in Christ's life, which is His suffering and then the glory that follows. Now this is for all believers that we'll see as we go throughout this message we've already talked about in, in recent weeks that, the, that we, there's going to be suffering for Christ, but that there's going to be glory that follows. And he says, therefore, I exhort the elders. I exhort the elders. That word just means to call alongside, to encourage, to compel someone in a certain direction. That's what Peter's doing. And you notice what he says. Well, first of all, he, he says the elders. That term is just means the leadership positions in the church. And if you notice, and this is not a, this is not a sermon about the doctrine of, of eldership, okay? But if you do notice, it says elders, okay? The pattern is always plural in the New Testament. And he says this, but he's... uh, Hold on, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, guys. I'm jumping a little bit ahead, getting a little bit too excited. So Peter is concerned about the purity in the church. Beginning with the leaders. Okay, that's what we've been looking at. The purity in the church that God is going to... Uh, judgment's going to begin with the household of God. We go through trials to purify us. So he's going to begin with the leaders. Uh, the word elder, just real quickly, again, this is, not a, this is not a sermon on necessarily the doctrine of elders, but, you'll, and, and I know some of you guys already know this, but some of you may not. You're going to see in your Bible, because in our, in our, in our culture, we usually refer to the man as the pastor, Right? But the, you, you'll, in, the, in the Bible, you'll see pastor, you'll see elder, you'll see bishop, you'll see overseer, you'll see shepherd. This is all talking about the same man, okay? Now that same man has different roles, and so some of the words can emphasize certain roles. The elder emphasizes the man's spiritual maturity. When you see bishop or overseer, it's talking about the same man, but this is uh, emphasizing maybe his responsibility of guardianship or oversight. The word pastor is the word shepherd and expresses the priority of of mainly feeding and teaching the Word of God, which is what we're going to look at a lot today. And then you'll see the word shepherd itself. It's all talking about the same office. Elder, pastor, bishop, overseer. So I, I I haven't heard of any churches looking for youth bishops. But we talked about that yesterday in our elder training. <laughs> uh, you don't hear that. <laughs> a youth elder, a youth bishop. 
But he says this. this is, I was jumping ahead a while ago. He says, as your fellow elder, there in verse 1. You see that? I believe that is a sign of Peter's humility. As your, as your fellow elder. So in other words, Peter is an elder. The apostles were elders. All the apostles were elders, but not all, the, not all elders are apostles. Peter, in other words, he's not throwing around his apostolic authority. I, as an apostle, that's not what he did. I, as your fellow elder. It reminded me just this humility uh, of, a, of, a, of a story I read on Facebook. A friend I have on Facebook, he's in another state, but he, he told this story within the last year that he was, he was looking for a church. And, and I believe a, a man came into his place of business and they began talking. And so this man invited him to his church. And he said this man was very humble and he, he, and he, just, he, talked, he, he talked very highly about his church. And then when this, this friend of mine went and visited the church, it turns out that man was the pastor. And he said it, it just really impressed him that he didn't emphasize that he was the pastor, but he emphasized his church. And he said he was just really impressed with his humility. Not that it's wrong for him to identify himself as the pastor, but it really stuck out to this friend of mine that, wow, that man was the pastor. And he didn't even make that a big deal. He made his church a big deal. So I believe it's this humility that we see in Peter. In other words, I don't think Peter's asking these men, we're going to see these exhortations, I don't think Peter's asking these men to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Okay? And, and that should be the case. This should, be, this should describe any, any leader, biblically speaking. We should not be asking anybody to do something, in, in this case, an exhortation to elders, I should not be asking any of, any of uh, future elders or current elders to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And obviously I shouldn't ask that uh, in a certain sense to any of you guys. Um, but I believe that that phrase just emphasizes His humility. We should be, you know, uh, elders, pastors. It's the idea of a humble servant. Servant leadership. Servant leadership. That's chapter 5 in the book that I just started on eldership. Servant leadership. It's the whole idea of Christ setting the example and washing His disciples' feet. And we should imitate Him. And so the phrase in in verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. You see that phrase there? And witness of the sufferings of Christ. There's a little bit of maybe disagreement as to exactly what that means. But it's going to be one of two things. Probably a combination of two. Um, And multiple commentators agreed on this. And I'm going to use the language of Matthew Poole, the Puritan, in his commentary. He said this. It could be, this phrase, it said it could be in his doctrine. And, and, And what he means by that is... He could just be speaking doctrinally, the truths, the witness. In other words, that Peter's saying, I was an eyewitness of his suffering. Okay, that the Bible talks about his suffering. I was an eyewitness of that. I was an eyewitness of his sorrow and his agony in the garden the night of his betrayal. I saw those things. I saw his sweat like drops of blood. I saw the soldiers arresting him. I saw these things. These things are true. I saw His trial before the high priest. I saw Him mocked. I saw the Son of God spit upon and punched. So He, he could be just talking about those things that He, that he witnessed. In other words, the, the truths that the Scriptures tell us about. Or it could be, in Matthew Poole's words, His example. Peter's example. He could be also describing His witness of and his personal sufferings of that resulted in his witness via preaching, right? He was a witness for Christ. We can see that in Acts. That Christ boldly preached to the Jewish authorities and as a result, he suffered firsthand. He was arrested. He was, he was flogged and beaten just like Christ was and put in prison. In other words, I, uh, in the language of verse 1, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, I have suffered for Him. I think he's probably talking about both. Right? The, the truths of Christ's suffering and His personal, his personal witness. 
and a suffering as a result. Um, don't you know as well, guys, that, that if you remember Peter's story, in Peter's own mind, as he's writing this, okay? He, throughout this whole book, and, and, and here he's writing about the sufferings of Christ, being a witness of His suffering during His ministry and on that night. And don't you know that there's a prob- probably a good chance that in his mind was the thought of his denying Christ three times amidst that suffering. We, we see in the next phrase in verse 1, he says, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. A partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. This glory that is to be revealed is at His second coming. Right? When Christ comes back, that's the glory that is to be revealed that we've read about many times in 1 Peter. He also could have been, uh, when he says that he was a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, in his mind, he could have been thinking that he saw that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. That could be in his, that could be in his thinking as well. And so you think of Peter, what he went through, the, the sufferings that he suffered for Christ. The, the witness of Christ's sufferings. That he suffered for him as he was obedient to preach his gospel and also the fact that he blew it by denying him. What, what could be a... What could be a, a, an encouragement to, to the elders that he's writing to, and, and all of God's people, that Christ restores, that Christ forgives. I've suffered for Him in a certain way because I denied Him, but, but that He restores and He forgives. Peter knows this. And how do we know that, that Peter knows that, that, that Christ restores? Because Peter says, I'm going to be a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. In spite of my denying Him, if you remember, He denied Him three times and He went and wept bitterly. And we see Christ restoring Him, obviously. But, but what an encouragement it is to us, to fellow elders, to Christians, to God's people, to all Christians, that although we blow it, God is merciful. And He restores us. He restores us. So we see... This, this theme, before we move to verse 2 and, and, and look at our, our exhortations, we see this theme in 1 Peter. Suffering and then the glory to come. We've looked at these verses a few times. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested, remember that? We've been talking about that our faith is tested even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see that? Suffering through testing and then glory. And then look at verse 11 in chapter 1. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. And then chapter 4, verse 13, we just looked at a couple weeks ago, we see this pattern. We see this theme. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Beloved, I think that's one of the main themes of Peter. That we're going to encounter suffering. We're going to suffer for Christ in this life, but there's glory to come. There's glory to come. There's rejoicing to come. So in verse 1 that we just looked at, Peter is encouraging the elders to follow Christ's example. To endure suffering knowing, that the, knowing the glory that follows. So now we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. I have two points today. Two main points. The first one we're going to look at in verses 2 and 3. The first heading or main point is shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Again, the title of the message, this is an exhortation to elders. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you. We're going to see this in verses 2 and 3. And it's going to have five subpoints under this first heading. So verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. We'll just stop right there for a few minutes. First of all, it says the flock of God. The flock of God. Not their own flock. Okay? It's not their own flock. It's the flock of God. And we'll see that more. So how are we to shepherd? How are elders to shepherd the flock of God which is among you? Uh, well, we're to, that, that phrase just means we're to lead God's people. We're to lead them primarily by preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's how we primarily lead God's people. In the Word. Preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now I'm going to say this right off. This is an exhortation to elders. And we're beginning elder training in this church. And I want, to, I, want to be, I want to be straightforward with you guys how men have been straightforward with me. This requires hard work. Sacrifice. And I'll say this, with your nose in the Word of God to lead God's people. It's not like, you don't have to turn there, it's not like this, Ezekiel 34.8. Listen to this description of these what the Bible would describe as false shepherds. Okay, Ezekiel 34.8 As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock, there's that phrase, my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field. For lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. That's a great warning to anybody who desires to be a shepherd. And then in verse 9, it goes on to say, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. So, I would speak to those who desire to be elders to myself. Hear the word of the Lord. We need to hear the word of the Lord here today in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1-4 through 4 in these exhortations. Don't you know that, it, that, that also in Peter's mind would have come Christ's words that he heard from his Lord in John chapter 21. You can turn here. John chapter 21. You know, we're talking about in the Bible study that we're starting how we got the Word of God. You guys, you know, we've been talking about that in equipping hour. How, if you guys remember, in, in, uh, in John chapters 14 through 16, is where Jesus in the upper room tells his disciples on that last night that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is going to remind you, talking to his disciples, of the very words that I spoke to you. We can see this here. When we look in John chapter 21, and then we think about what Peter's saying here in 1 Peter, we can see this beautiful reality. In John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. The very language that Peter uses here in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. He's echoing the words of Christ. To fellow elders, shepherd the flock of God. The same as feed the, sh- feed the flock of God. Feed the lambs. Feed the sheep. Care for them. The very, the very exhortation that Christ gave him, now he is in return giving to what he calls his fellow elders. So what are we feeding them? What are we feeding them? We're feeding them sound doctrine. You don't just feed them anything. You feed them sound doctrine. 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, 2 Timothy 2.17, the context is false teachers. And Paul tells Timothy about these false teachers. He says, their talk will spread like gangrene. 
That's what false doctrine does. It's like gangrene. The New King James phrases it this way. Their message will spread like cancer. That's why false teaching is so dangerous. It's like gangrene. It rots. It corrupts. It kills. It ultimately damns. False teaching damns. And that's why God has such strong language. We'll look at a little bit of it a little later. Towards false teachers. We must feed them healthy food. Not just any food, but the very words of Christ. Our doctrine needs to line up with the doctrine of Christ. Because in the Bible, there's really only one true teacher, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us come under Him. Okay? Acts, you can turn here, Acts 20, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. We will see real clearly in this passage when Paul's speaking with the Ephesian elders. He knew this would be the last time he saw them. And we can see in this statement here, in Acts 20, verses 28 through 30, we can see the responsibility of the, of the pastor shepherd. Okay? Acts 20, 28-30. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Okay? There's that word again. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we can see some of the same wording that we talked about earlier. To shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Remember what it talked about in Ezekiel? That my flock is going to become prey to the beasts? It's these false teachers. That's what we're to do. We're to protect the flock with sound doctrine, protect them, guard them from false teachers. Verse 30, And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Just a little bit of the picture of the responsibility of the elder, of the pastor, of the shepherd. We are to feed the flock with God's Word, with sound doctrine. Not just any words, not our opinions, not traditions of men, but sound doctrine, sound teaching. We are to feed. We are to guard. We saw this in the language we just read. We are to protect God's precious flock. When it uses the word flock, it's the idea of God's precious flock that we just read about that He purchased with His own blood. I love how I love verses like that. You notice that? That God purchased with His own blood. Deity of Christ. That God purchased with His own blood. And again, the context, let's remember the context of the letter. Persecution. He's writing to believers that are scattered and under persecution from Nero. And so, again, these things are always true. This is always the pastor's job. But even it's even emphasized more, especially when the church is under persecution, they need godly leaders to lead them. And that phrase in, in verse... In verse uh, in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That just means to look after, to care for, to, to look after diligently, taking care of the flock spiritually primarily. Being involved in their lives. Helping the weak. Those who are weak. And again, this is, these are commands for all Christians in a general way, but even more so for the elder. Those who are weak, coming alongside them, helping them, praying for them, praying for the sick, praying for those who are struggling, being there, gently restoring the wayward. When, we, when you see one of the sheep going wayward, you're there to gently restore. You're there to reprove for sin when necessary. You're, you're there to look a brother in the eye, to love them, and say, you're sinning against God. And I'm here for you. Protecting from wolves. We've talked about that through, through sound teaching. And seeking the lost. That's part of the shepherd's job is to seek God's sheep that are lost with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the Gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. And we do it all. We do it all 
which is a, our first sub-point under shepherd the, church, the flock of God. We do it all not under compulsion in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Sub-point number one, not under compulsion. In other words, not by force. Not by force. Or not because someone has to do it. I guess I'll look after the flock because, well, somebody's got to do it. That's under compulsion. I would say that a man that has that attitude, not that you can't have times when you're tired and weaknesses of the flesh, but a man who has those attitudes that want to lead by force or only does it because somebody has to do it or somebody's making them do it is not called of God. Not called of God. And we see that in the very next sub-point. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Still in verse 2. Exercising oversight, or shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. A man called of God will gladly do these things. They will gladly do these things. Right, Juan? Amen? 1 Timothy 3.1, we see this. This is, this is um, in, in the very beginning of the qualifications in 1 Timothy. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. Any man that's called to the office of pastoral ministry is going to desire it. Now that doesn't mean every man that has a desire to do it is going to meet all the other qualifications. But that is going to be one of the things that every man who is truly called that he desires to do. You're not going to have to drag him kicking and screaming. He's going to have a desire. Why? Because God puts that desire in him. It always mystified me in the past when I would hear men, they would talk about being called to the ministry and there's always something mystical. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, after the call, it's like God had to drag me kicking and screaming and I just don't see that in the Scripture. It's, it's a desire. It's a consuming desire that you have. I've heard that from men in this church who, are, who, who we're going through elder training with. That's their desire. They just want to minister to God's people. And that, that, that's in the Scriptures. It starts with this, in other words. It doesn't finish there, or it doesn't end there, but it starts with this. It's a consuming desire to honor God and to care for His people. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. I think this is more evident. I can say that now with a little bit of experience, two years now. I, I think this is even more evident, this, this, this willing to do it voluntarily, once a man has done it for a while and still desires to do it voluntarily. Uh, because... He understands more at that time what what is involved in it. What is involved in the calling. To voluntarily shepherd and exercise oversight. Knowing, okay, and this this is an exhortation to you guys. Knowing the long hours of study and it never it never lets up. Right? I've heard it I've heard it described like you guys have who have went through college and you got your finals. And the pressure to take the finals, that's the way it is every week. It's Sunday's coming. And you want to be prepared. And so if you take it seriously, I'm not, I'm not saying going and copying and pasting a sermon from the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Don't do that. But if you truly want to dig in God's Word and, and, and a sermon that, that God has given you, exegeting the passage, praying over it, it's hard work. It's a joy, but it's hard work. And it's a joy because God calls you to do it. Somebody that would try to do this that God didn't call, it'd be misery. I can promise you. But to voluntarily shepherd and exercise oversight, knowing the long hours of study, knowing the pain that comes with it. It's not all pain, but there's pain that comes with it. It's heartache. It's not all heartache. Don't ever think I'm saying that. But there's heartache. The warfare that comes with it. It's not all warfare, but there's warfare. The song we just sang, I was trying to keep the words in my mind so I could repeat them. Uh, the, uh, the last song we sang, Mighty Fortress. And, and, and just talking about the enemy of God 
And guys, just understand this. Every Christian is a target. But when you enter into pastoral ministry, you have got a bullseye on you. You have got the crosshairs of the enemy on you. I was told that, and, and, I, and I know that. And obviously that's just logical. It makes sense. Satan does not want the man of God equipping the people of God for the works of ministry. That's the last thing he wants. That's why his biggest work is in the area of false teaching. He wants to confuse and deceive. And so you're going to have a target on you. There's going to be opposition. And so it's, it's voluntarily for, the, for this elder, this man called of God, because of the love of souls, the love of God's people, the love of the advancement of the kingdom of God and the, and the, and the edification of the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't voluntarily... And we're going to talk about, the, I think, in, in verse 4 a little later, really the primary motive that the, that the elder has to, to endure through, to the end. But I think even this, if, if it wasn't voluntarily, which is given by God when He calls a man, I don't think the man would last. I don't think He would. Uh, you know, I just think of men that I know and the things they've been through and the pain. Um, you're going to have critics. You're going to have opposition. It's going to be difficult. You'll, you'll discover that, that there are some people you encounter that they're, it's like their main desire and, and passion is to criticize pastors. And you'll be the brunt of it at times. Those kind of things, it, it may not sound difficult, but it's difficult when you're in it. But, but we do it voluntarily and it keeps you going because you know why you're in it. It's not to please any individual, any man. It's to please God. And that'll be, we'll talk about that more towards the end. That's the prime motivation is to please Christ. And so I will say this, um, and she's not in here, but my, but my wife, as my witness, I do this voluntarily because I love it. Because I love you guys. Um, I'm, not, I'm not going to my study kicking and screaming, going, oh, I've got to do it again. Um, when you guys call me up and want to meet with me, I, don't, I desire to meet with you, okay? I do it because I love you and I love Christ uh, freely, just to obey God's will and love His people. So the... Uh, Third sub-point going along still in verse 2 is voluntary according to the will of God and not for sordid gain as the NAS. Not for sordid gain. Filthy lucre. I think the King James says. In other words, this sordid gain, guys, it means dirty, filthy, dishonest, immoral. Or an easier way to say it, not for greed or covetousness. Okay? Not for greed or covetousness. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not for greed or covetousness as the motive. We see this again in the pastoral qualifications. 1 Timothy 3 3. Free from the love of money. Okay? Free from the love of money. Titus 1 7. Not fond, here it is again, of sordid gain. Not out of greed, in other words. Like the false teachers. There's a lot of passages we could look at, but we might as well just stick with Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. We'll see just a couple verses about false teachers and what characterizes them. 2 Peter 2, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The Lord has strong language for the fate of false teachers. Jude speaks about it as well. That there is an extra, I believe a very simple way to put it, an extra dark and an extra hot part of hell reserved for false teachers who lead the people of God astray, who deceive people. Um, and then verses 14 and 15 in chapter 2 in 2 Peter. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. You hear that? Never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart trained in greed. Wow. Accursed children. Forsaken the right way. They've gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, 
the son of Beor, who loved wages of unrighteousness. The message today is not about false teachers, but immorality and greed is going to characterize false teachers. Okay? Mark it down every time because they're unregenerate. Behind a false teacher, you're going to find sexual immorality and greed. But, as you guys have heard me say, we've talked about a lot here recently, really throughout our church plant, there's always going to be balance. There needs to be balance in our doctrine. There needs to be balance in our practice. Okay? Because what do we just look at? You know, don't do it for sordid gain, for greed. We know the false teachers. Think of the men you see on TV. It's not just them. But that's the way that what the world sees. Yeah, the preachers are just after your money. So we need to have balance. That yes, God is against this, this fondness of, of sordid gain, this greed. But the worker deserves his wages. Let's, let's bring balance to it. 1 Corinthians 9.14 So that the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Okay? And then 1 Timothy 5.17 and 18 The elders who rule well over you are to be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at times in preaching and teaching. And then in case we wonder, what is he talking about? The double honor. He goes on to say, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. So yes, the Bible is it condemns pastors pursuing this for the love of money. To take advantage of God's people. It condemns it and they will be accountable to Him. But at the same time, we see these truths that in God's economy, in God's mind, in God's plan, God's will, those who serve need to make their living from the gospel. So we've got to keep a balance upon it. In other words, we serve Christ, not money. Right? We serve Christ, not money. So fourthly, the fourth sub-point we see at the end of verse 2, not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. But with eagerness. This is very similar to voluntarily that we just looked at. With eagerness. Why? Because Christ called him to it. Period. Christ called him to it, so you do it eagerly. Cheerfully is another way to say it. With eagerness, cheerfully. Again, not under compulsion. Not for money, not under compulsion. A good way to describe this word here, this both voluntarily and with eagerness, is when we look at 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says this, each one, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The context here is giving. But the meaning is the same as what we're looking at here in 1 Peter. We're not to give grudgingly or under compulsion. Well, I guess I have to. No, but we're to do it cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. When we realize, when we, when we, when we just stop and think about it, we realize everything we have has been given to us by God. Has it not? Everything we have. The very ability to earn wealth. The food we have. The money we have. The house we have. The health we have. It's all been given to by God so we cheerfully want to give back to Him. God loves a cheerful giver. It's the same wording. It's the same word. Not under compulsion. Not grudgingly. But cheerfully. With eagerness. I hope you eagerly desire to give to the Lord. You're not even giving to this church. You're giving to Christ out of love for Him. God loves a cheerful elder, in other words. Let's transfer that language. God loves a cheerful elder. God loves a cheerful elder who just, for the love of God's people and the glory of God, wants to serve God's people. That's, that's how you would connect that language. And then fourthly, our fourth sub-point under, under, the, under shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight is, nor yet as lording it over. 
Not lording it over, in other words. Fourth subpoint, not lording it over. We're not oppressors, in other words, guys. Pastors aren't called to oppress their people. We don't lead by intimidation. We don't manipulate. We don't boss people around. We don't rule harshly with force, in other words. I think a good illustration of this type of leadership that would be, in many ways, what the world expects, how the world practices authority, you can see that in Mark 10. Jesus gives an illustration of this. Mark 10, verses 42 through 45. Mark 10, 42 through 45. This is James and John asking Jesus. They can sit beside him, you know, when he sits on his throne. They had a misunderstanding of their authority. And in verse 42 through 45, Jesus says this. Calling them to Himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But this is not, or, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Remember that servant leadership. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Isn't it amazing how God's economy is always backwards from the world's? Guys, if we want to be great, then we need to be willing to be least of all and serve others. And then verse 40, uh, 45, For even the Son of Man... How much authority did the Son of Man have, guys? All authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. You would think if anybody came to be served, it would be the one who has all authority. The one who can take your life like that. The one who created this world. The one who formed you in your mother's womb. The one who everybody will stand before and give an account. But He says, when He came to this earth, He did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. That is our pattern. That's all of our... Everybody in here, that's your pattern. But the exhortation to elders as well, this is our pattern. If we want to know how to lead God's people, we follow the example of Christ. We lead those, it says in in verse... In verse 3, those allotted to our charge, that's just simply referring to God's people, we lead those allotted to our charge by humbly serving. Okay? By humbly serving, which really just flows right into our last subpoint under point number one, is uh, proven to be examples. At the end of verse 3, nor yet as Lord in it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. To the flock. It does not say perfect. It does not say perfect examples, but proven to be examples. Examples in our conversation, in our generosity. I should be an example of those things to you. In our good works, in our purity, in our humility, in our faithfulness, and in our growth and progress, right? Because we're not perfect. God doesn't call perfect men to this or there there would be no need to show growth and progress. And that's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Peter 4.12 Let no one look down on you or look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, faith and purity Show yourself an example to those who believe. And then he goes on to say, he gets into his preaching and teaching roles. And this is 1 Timothy 4 and in verse 15. Take pains with these things. In these preaching and teaching roles and feeding the flock. He says, take pains in these things. Be absorbed in them. So that what? Your progress will be evident to all. So nobody in here or nobody you know or myself 
We're not the best preachers around, okay? We're to make progress is what we're to do. We're to make progress in our understanding of Scripture. In our, in our ability to preach Scripture. We're to make progress in our love. We're to make progress in our conduct. We're to make progress in all of these things. We need to be making progress. Okay? So that's the question. That's an exhortation to the, to the elders that Peter's saying. Are you making progress? For those who desire, aspire eldership. The question is going to be is, are you making progress? Are you making progress in your study? Or are you getting lazy? Are you making progress in your understanding of the Scripture? I would, I would encourage this to all of you guys. I wish I had done this from the time I was saved. I've been doing it for many years. But I would encourage you all, but especially those who aspire eldership, you need to be reading through your Bible every year. You need to be increasing in just the general knowledge of God's Word. Whatever other... I don't care how much study you have. I don't care if you're reading ten books at a time. And if you're, if you're in a Bible study, you need to be steadily taking in God's Word as a whole. You need to be making progress. And I, and I wish I had read... I wish I had practiced that early on. I read every day, but, but not through the entire Bible for the first few years. You need to be making progress in your humility. Are you, are, you know, in becoming more like Christ. You need to be making progress in your preaching. You need to be making progress in your family. Making progress as a husband. And again, this, this can apply to all Christians. So wives to your husbands. Husbands to your wives. Fathers to your children, you need to be making progress in these areas. You need to be growing wiser in how you lead your children, learning from your mistakes. Or, like I said a while ago, are you lazy in your studies? Do you say, well, I would rather watch the ball game? Not that there's anything wrong with watching the ball game. But if it's a pattern and you're going, you're neglecting the Word of God as an elder then you need, to, you need to truly question whether you've been called to as an elder because we're to be absorbed in these things. I know I have to be because I have to study a lot. I'm not the just brightest guy around. I have to work at it. So don't be lazy in your studies. Don't be arrogant in your abilities. Don't ignore marital issues that come up with the best marriages. Don't ignore when your children are disobedient. Okay? You don't ignore these things, but you make progress. You're the man of God and you take action. Things don't always go smoothly. Is the man pressing forward in obedience to Christ and making progress? That's the question. That's the question. Because that's what we're commanded to do. If we had it all figured out all the time, there would be no need for this. And all of this, guys, and, and which, which is going to bring us to our second main heading in verse 4, all of this, Peter is, is, is exhorting us. All of these things an elder pastor should do with his gaze upon Christ. We see that in verse 4. In our second heading, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the second main point is with His gaze on Christ. He is the chief shepherd over His flock. When the chief shepherd appears, He is the chief shepherd over His flock. As our priest, you know, we've heard it even even in this letter, we've looked at Christ as prophet as priest, as king. He is our chief shepherd and as our priest, as our great sympathetic high priest, He died for us. Amen? He died for us. If there's anybody in here who were to stand before God today and He asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? If you do not know, if you're not sure how to answer that, You need to understand this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. I love 
quote by Spurgeon. He says, the Gospel is this, Jesus died for me. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I would hate somebody to come to this church and sit here week after week. Because it doesn't matter what I think. I don't know man's hearts. I'm to examine my own heart. But what a tragedy that would be to somebody for somebody to sit here week after week or in any church that preaches the Gospel and neglect his own salvation. Folks, Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe upon Him would not perish but have eternal life. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin, meaning He was truly God, truly man, and He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. Could never live. I don't care if you've been a pastor for 20 years. If you have not trusted in Christ alone for the salvation of your soul, you are lost. He is the only one. He is the only one who could satisfy the demands of God's justice by living a perfect life as a man like you and I and being fully God. He, I mean, you just think about your sinful life. You don't have to think about anybody else. Think about your sin, your testimony, all of your filth and garbage in your mind that nobody knows about. And Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, suffered the wrath and anger of God that we deserve for that. And they did it for all of those who would believe. The millions of people throughout the ages of God's sheep. He, he died. He was punished as if He lived the life of a fornicator, of an adulterer, of a liar. Think about how natural it was to lie apart from Christ. We're liars, people. Apart from Christ. And Christ, God the Father treated Him the way I deserve to be treated forever in hell. Folks, He died for us. Jesus died for us. He paid the penalty in full. He said it is finished. He was buried and He rose again from the dead. That is our great hope. That's why we gather. That's why we sing to Him. That's why we pray to Him. That's why we give to Him. That's why we go and proclaim because we love Him, because He saved us. While we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, enemies of God, right? But God. But God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together. Just heard two wonderful testimonies last night from the people sitting on the back row on this side. Both of them came to Christ through Ephesians 2. But God. Folks, we were dead in our sins. Hopeless. But God. Rich in mercy. How is He rich in mercy? By sending His Son. So if you don't know this Christ today, Jesus says, come to Me. Through repentance and faith, that's what the Bible says, repent of your sins, be willing to turn from your sins, from your selfish way of living and come to the risen Christ. I love what he says. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I was just thinking about this morning. I already had the sermon written and, and just this rest that Christ gives. I remember in my days before I knew Christ what a habitual liar I was and how it wore me out. Having to lie to cover this lie, to cover this lie, to cover all your steps. But when you come to Christ and He gives you a new heart and you're just simply walking in the truth, you don't have to cover your tracks. you got one story, you just tell the truth. And there's rest in knowing Christ. So if you don't know Him, come to Him today. Cry out to Him today. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So as our priest, He died for us. As our prophet, He teaches us. And as our King, He rules over us, His church, 
his flock. This is this chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd also, not only over his flock, but over all under shepherds. We are under shepherds under the chief shepherd. In other words, we get our authority and we get our teaching from him and him alone. We get our teaching from him, the word who has made flesh. This book right here is where we get our teaching and our authority. And we will be accountable to Him. We will be accountable to Him. This is the pastor elder's greatest motivation, okay? When he, when he feels alone, again, I just want to speak reality to you. Anybody who would ever desire or aspire the pastoral ministry. This is going to be your greatest motivation, I promise you. Keeping your gaze fixed upon Christ, knowing that we're doing it to please Him. When you feel alone, that will happen at times. I know this from many, many, many men I've talked to over the years. And, and through experience. At times, you'll feel abandoned. It'll feel so easy to quit. You'll battle depression. All of this is all of this is Ephesians 6. Spiritual warfare is what's behind it all. But it's not about pleasing any man or woman, not even your spouse, but it's about pleasing Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. Keep your gaze focused upon Christ. Listen to John Calvin speak on this verse here. Less then the faithful servant of Christ should be broken down, there is for him one and only remedy to turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. Thus it will be that he who seems to be that he who seems to receive no encouragement from men will with great care and perseverance go on in his labors knowing that a great reward is prepared for him by the Lord. And I so appreciate many of you, your words of encouragement, they go a long way. They, they really do. I've had pastors tell me that over the years. And so just know that they go a long way. But even that, fellow elders should not be your greatest motivation. Not, not, not any idea of pleasing a man, but pleasing Christ. We want to hear on that day, well done. So it's not going to be a crown or trophy. Look at the language of verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So it's not like a, a crown or a trophy that you receive here in this, in this life. i got tons of trophies growing up playing different sports. But guess what, guys? They're all stored away somewhere collecting dust. One day, they're going to just be thrown away. They're going to perish. It's not, the, it's not to be... Uh, in this context, it was the, uh, the crown that they would receive in the, in, the, in the sports game, in the Greco-Roman world, or the military triumph. All of this stuff's going to perish. This thing is unfading. This reward that comes from Christ... And so I'm really speaking to the whole church now in closing. Revelation 22.12 Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly and My reward is with Me to render to every man according to what He has done. So beloved, this is to all of us. Obviously, it's to exhortation to elders, future elders, but all of us who know Christ in proportion to your faithful service, to our faithful service to Christ, we will be rewarded by our chief shepherd. That should be your motivation to serve Him. And so as Peter was telling his fellow elders, I tell you all today in closing that our motive should not be honor and glory here in this life. Sometimes you're going to receive honor and glory. You'll receive pats on the back. But that shouldn't be our motive. But the motive should be the reward that we're going to receive from Christ at His return. Let's pray.
Father, thank You for Your Son. Lord, thank You for Your Gospel. Thank You for calling men to lead Your church, Lord. What a heavy, serious responsibility it is, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for these people here today. I'm thankful for our our body here, our, our flock here, our family here. Thankful for their encouragement. I'm thankful for their love for You. Lord, we just all as a body want to honor You. Father, I pray for the future of our church. pray for the future eldership of our church, God, that Your will will be done. We love You and we praise You and we commit this time to You. In Christ's name, Amen.